After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu Marcus. Along with me, David Silver. And here we are, back again, and um, we, we in ruminating a little bit uh, with David, I just said to him, I have to, I, you know, as we normally would do in our day-to-day kind of uh, lives, life's lives, and uh, I would say I got really turned on by this song I heard just like the old days right and uh, I did I got totally turned on by this new record uh, from Beck and uh, I shared it with David Uh, it's been a long time since we've done that right yeah I mean you know I've always liked him since the very first Odelay you know that incredible loser song Honestly, I thought at that point he was an advanced musician, and that was his first song, and that he was what twenty or something. Yeah, he but was young. I, he, he matures. I love him. We, we should, you know, we'll, we're going to play a track or two, right, Raghu? Two? No, one. One. One we track. We get playing. one. Yeah. One track is all we get. So that's it. Yeah. Um, and oh, well, let's just play the track because we're just turning each other on to something really cool and we want to get all of you you're probably a lot of you are already aware boy they put some money behind this full page ad in the back of the entertainment section of the sunday times okay right that had to cost a fortune that uh, i'm so shocked that uh, a record company i mean no he's something but i don't think he sells like he used to. it was amazing and here's the song i hope this this will work Waking life, your profile and shadow. Waste yourself to the morning alone. Night is gone, long way turning. You've waited long. Somewhere you can make it home 
Just a, a fabulous. Uh, well, I got. I pre-ordered. It's not. It's just coming out. It'll be out by the time you folks hear this thing. Um, and I just got three songs uh, f- because I pre-ordered. 
And because I heard this thing, and this one's called Waking Light. And that's the one I shared with uh, David. Um, it's beautiful. It, I really had resonance of Pink Floyd, Comfortably Numb, of John Lennon as always. Because I think Beck is the, really? the true inheritor of Lennon's vibe. I always did, and I always will. Wow, I've never heard that. I've never heard a reviewer say well, if that. Well, you, if you think, well, they're not as smart as me. Um, that's true. No, that sounds You're... terribly arrogant, and I'm not. No, really no, that. no. I am absolutely in agreement with you yeah. on that. Not I only mean, smart, but discriminating. Well, and I, but, I mean, good taste. Early, thank you very much. But really, Rugger, on the early Beck work, there was a lot of backward taping and various techniques that were very simple analog te- techniques. Maybe he did them digitally. I'm not sure, but they were very reminiscent of George Martin and John Lennon's work uh, in the late '60s, and he mm. talked about it frequently and said how much he idolized Lennon and the Beatles. So I think he's a great, and he's such an innovator. But he's also fun, you know, he's just amazing. And, mm, yeah, he's, a tre- and he's, he's a treasure. So Yeah, he really, I mean, because he does so many different things. He has so many styles that he's integrating or, you know, he, or focusing on. So that's your Beck uh, commercial. So uh, go out there and, and get his, re- you could get it through Amazon. <laughs> And yeah. then help us out. I mean, you know, this is perfect. Get, you know, you can download it through Amazon or you can, uh, you know, buy a physical copy and you go through mindrollingpodcast.com portal. And as we've been saying over and over, we're really encouraging people to really help us out that way because that way it's just, uh, it, it's a win win. Completely. That and on also uh, audible.com. You know, go ahead and get the audible.com uh, free trial and go to go to our uh, mindrollingpodcast.com and just go through it. And then we get, you know, 15 bucks. By the way, David, for, uh, for everyone who, who gets, I think it's 15, maybe it's less, uh, for everyone who signs up. So again, you can, you know, sign up, get your free thing, and then you don't do it again. If, if that's, you know, but it's a, it actually is a great thing. And, you know, David, I just read something, you know, that uh, total um, book sales are, are obviously down, right? But what is way up is Audible books. People are loving getting Audible books. So there's way more Audible books uh, uh, becoming available as a result. I just read that. Again, yeah, in the New York I Times. Mean, I mean, it's true. On the last episode of House of Cards, the real bad guy, not, I mean, you know, the bad guy's assistant, he drives a lot. And when he's driving, he's such a bad guy, he can only do one thing, and he listens to the audible version of Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. So every time you go to him in his car, he's listening to this audio book that somehow soothes his blackened soul. Right. House of Cards, woo. Okay. Yeah, I can't. Anyhow, um, don't agree <laughs> Why? With me it's that great. One. It's fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Uh, what else? Uh, I, I mean, this sounds redundant too. I came across an article. I mean, you know, let's tell the truth. We are constantly coming across all sorts of information, and I have to thank. Uh, and I get a lot of it just looking up on Facebook. I, I think that's like the best thing uh, about Facebook, actually, is these articles that, I mean, if you have the right friends who are poking through and, you know, really, uh, you know, in this case, this comes from uh, the Scientific American magazine. And um, 
This was of interest to me because recently I did a podcast. You know, I do the other podcast I, uh, that I do uh, where I take uh, Ramdas talks and cut them up to suit my particular interest uh, that week or I come upon something. So it's, you know, it's like a fun hobby almost. Uh, because I get to listen to these uh, these talks and and uh, you know and cutting up just the right piece of it that is really directly feeding a certain topic is fun thing to do too. Uh, and so this one, uh, individual differences, uh, and uh, um, it came from social aspects of sadness. So you know how how we evolve as people relating to each other, how we relate to each other how we stop seeing the us and them, which David and I talk about all the time, you know, certainly related to social action when we talk about social action. Uh, but uh, this, so w- he talked about the evolvement that happens for a person, you know, is constantly seeing out of their habits and out of their learned um, reactions to people that we see anywhere, we see, and the best example is the one you and I, as men, know quite well. You walk around on the streets and you see, a, a, you know, attractive women. It's, you know, then it's just, okay, that's a makeable person. You know, that's a fantasy. That's, you know, cool, and I want to go there. Uh, and then everybody else gets cut out as if they don't even exist, right? I mean, you know, pickpocket I've, only I've sees I've never people. been like that. Okay, well, I, I stand corrected, although I know way better. And yes. uh, yes, so, uh, so this article, I'm just getting it right now, is called How Unconscious Thought and Perception Affect Our Every Waking State. Okay. So can I, I'm going to read just a couple of thing, quotes from it. Yeah, uh, because this really relates with what we were talking about uh, uh, in terms of that podcast I did with Ramdas called uh, "Individual Differences." Uh, be, although, because in my own mind, uh, you know, there's lots of prescriptions for getting through and transforming out of us and them and polarity. Um, it's this article kind of points out how ridiculously difficult that is, of course, for everybody because of the, uh, you know, the unconscious, basically. So, uh, people often make decisions without having given them much thought, or more precisely, before they have thought about them consciously. When we decide how to vote, what to buy, where to go on vacation, and myriad other things, Unconscious thoughts that we are not even aware of typically play a big role. Research has recently brought to light just how profoundly our unconscious mind shapes our day-to-day interaction. Of course, you know, and this, uh, you know, Freud, right, brings this, of course, brings all of what uh, Freud brought to uh, Western psychology. Um. So, uh, the unconscious way we perceive people during the course of the day is a reflexive reaction. So, here's the meat of this thing. 
we have to exert willful, conscious effort to put aside the unexplained and sometimes unwarranted negative feelings that we may harbor towards others. The stronger the unconscious influence, the harder we have to work consciously to overcome it. In particular, this holds true for habitual behaviors. An alcoholic might come home in the evening and pour a drink. A person with a weight problem may reach for potato chips. Both easily casting aside the countervailing urge toward restraint. Um, I, I just, I just, when when I think myself, um, I mean, the other thing that's I guess should be mentioned here is another example that he gives. This the author. I should give the author John Barg from Scientific American. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the subtitle on this is cool. Unconscious impulses impulses, and desires impel what we think and do in ways Freud never dreamed of. That's kind of a cool line. Mm. So um, the other thing he points out as an example, the way in which we, we see each other and automatically put it in, in a bag. You know, we, as uh, using a musical term, we uh, put them in a box immediately and, and discard that. Uh, and, and how we deal with different people, and different, like if we're seeing a librarian, we're going to have a completely different reaction than if we meet up with a truck driver at a truck stop. Uh, you know, and they come to us immediately without our thinking about them based only on a, on a person's social uh, stature. So we have so many things that are instantly... Um, um, disallowing breaking through individual dis, uh, differences. We have so many things that make it so difficult to, you know, even with all of the spiritual practices and all of that stuff that you and I talk about all the time. I mean, you, you, you know, of course, there is no chance unless you are dealing with this stuff that we're talking this unconscious stuff you know yeah, and yeah yeah as long as you're recognizing it and then seeing that process it'll keep coming back and back and back but slowly but surely this other part of you which is the witness to that reactive behavior sees it and lets you know as of a little text that just comes in your consciousness and says you just judge someone you don't know them at all you know nothing about them. And what right have you to do that? And by the way, you're really judging yourself and hating yourself a little bit to just divide yourself one more time from someone you see in a random way. I, you know, I, you asked me before we started recording about an experience of that. I, about uh, 12 years ago, was commissioned to produce and direct a show called Innovators which was about world innovators like Stephen Hawking and Albert Schweitzer and people like that. Mm. And it was done and paid for by the Mormon community in Salt Lake City. And it was for PBS and it was shown on PBS. So I spent six weeks in Salt Lake City in Orem actually, working only with Mormons and with Mormon composers and dancers and so forth. Um, I had just the best time. I was treated really well as an outsider. There was no propagandizing. There was just a lot of affection. And at one point I was introduced to the president of the local 
PBS station, who of course was a Mormon. And it was called James Bell. And I got to know Jim really well. And over the period of years, we corresponded and he used to send me his poetry, which was brilliant. And he was a, an expert on, you know, literature and poetry. And he was the head of a PBS station and he was a Mormon. And he was just the grandest person, sweetest person, full of love, full of gratitude, no edge on him, no power complexes, happy. And I, I'll never forget the experience because the main five or six people I met in, in there who I worked with at the PBS station were all really nice to work with. And I must say that I was just like everybody else in my judgmentalism about these human beings called Mormons, mm. that they must be terrible. Why? Well, there's all kinds of reasons, like not allowing any, uh, any African-Americans to be preachers till 1980 or something or 1975, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, a really weird attitude towards uh, various aspects of the Christ myth, one being that Christ visited North America and spoke to the Native Americans. And all these things I knew about him, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yet, no, I mean, there's some pretty out there things there, too. There are. But the human beings I met there were really great to be around, humorous, knowledgeable, heavily into rock and roll music, listened to raps from me about various aspects of Buddhism and, hmm. and devotional yoga and so on, and really were not judgmental. So all I'm saying is, and I'm kind of bored with my own voice at this point about this, but that I really enjoyed my time with them. So when people make comments about Mormons, I don't have the same response now. I try to remember these actual human beings yeah. that I actually yeah. interacted with. Uh, yeah. you, people out there, if you met these guys, you would like them too. Mm. Yeah, they no. were you know, they were, you know, Raghu, they were fun to be around. They didn't take themselves too seriously and they, they kind of weren't full of hatred. But in this case, you were like, you know, you were lucky. You, you actually, because when, when you meet somebody and, and you can feel the vibration, no matter what all the intellectual or, you know, reactive stuff that you would come up with as, as a result of learned stuff, in this case about Mormons, uh, it was way easier, of course, if you're in the presence of somebody to immediately cut through that by virtue of this. Obviously, this is a generous heart. This is uh, whoever you were meeting. Um, I, okay, here's my little anecdote. Okay. I, um, I've told this before on one of our podcasts, so bear with me. If you've heard this, it's worth hearing again. Uh, I was with uh, Ramdas. And he was going to do a thing with Eckhart Tolle uh, out in Maui. And I was out there helping produce and all of that. And uh, so he had never met him. And I had only seen Eckhart in a uh, lecture, a uh, public lecture somewhere, actually having to do with media, conscious media, of all things. And uh, he, I, you know, he, he comes, uh, he is from Germany. And he... Um, so he has an accent, and uh, he was rather dry, is what I got when I actually, you know, heard him. But it was more than that. I think I had some crazy shit from my father related to uh, Germany. My father was a, a World War II bomber pilot, right? And, and he flew a lot of missions, actually, over North Africa. And, you know, he, 
I remember he had souvenirs like a German Luger and stuff like that. I was like, wow, this is... But, uh, of course, uh, we were Jewish, and the level of venom towards Germans was extraordinarily high. So, I, you know, this I had this. I mean, this was just passed on. I never thought of it because I never met any German people till way later in my life. And um, aside from Jews who had come from, you know, who had survived the camps, obviously, but I had never met any other uh, German people. And so that was intermingled in this thing that one day, so this event was going to happen, and um, and they were going to meet. Ramdas was going to meet Eckhart, and of course I, I was there because he was coming over for lunch to Ramdas's house, and there was a bunch of other people there, uh, either in support or you know Ramdas's uh, assistance and so on, and um, so both Ramdas and I. <laughs> actually talked before he came over about, oh, God, we're going to have to deal with this is kind of dry, Germanic kind of thing. And that's, you know, we were, I mean, I'm talking out of school now because Ramdas. Uh, well, it has a good ending. Let's so say that I was way more, uh, you know, Ramdas was sort of nodding about it. Um, but he also, he had no uh, idea uh uh, of anything but but what we had built in uh, reactions and you know mind habit forming things by virtue of just what we had gotten from the air you know so he came in and he was like your guy your Mormon guy same damn thing I mean sweet heart generous of heart you know you can tell when people walk in a room instead of coming right over to meet and say hello to Ramdas, there were several people in between the door and where Ramdas was, in this case, in the living room. And they were people who helped Ramdas out. You know, you got a couple of young guys, whatever, uh, that do, you know, work in, in, uh, around and, and do what's necessary uh, for him. And uh, Eckhart walked in and he went right up to the first young kid that was there and and completely greeted him not bullshit you know hey what's you know and move on he, he encountered him i mean in a way that you knew that this was a real um whole person intact person and uh and as as, as that happened i thought to myself oh for god's sake <laughs> Look, I have created here, and for years, right? Because uh, I had, you know, I had I'd known about him, and I saw him that one time, and it's been years. So, uh, the level of uh, just how deep that stuff is, and to um, and you talk about the witness as a, as a way, you know, there's nothing to do but be, I mean, I was aware of this, and I just, you know. The ridiculousness of the judgmental mind in that moment was breathtaking. Yeah. yeah, and then you know the next stage is realizing not to, not to chastise and beat yourself up like a fanatic when you catch yourself doing this. The important thing is catching yourself. It's not judging yourself. And I'm talking about yourself now, not other people. You know, like the quick judgment gets made, a prejudice from deep, deep down in one's own past, this life for sure, many other lives possibly. Uh, you see it, 
that's the mindfulness part of this. It's all a great lesson. That what we just talked about was having prejudgments. But then all day, every day, you know, you encounter people, even people in the media you see on TV or podcasts or whatever, and you judge them and quickly. But then because of the practices you just said, Raghu, and I just don't want to sound sanctimonious here, so I'll make this short. But, you know, because of just practicing self-awareness on some level in some way with some technique, you begin to see these things arising in yourself. They arise. But instead of dominating, you see them, you say, hello, hello, judge, Mr. Judgmental, hello, Mr. Prejudge Totally, hello, Mr. Prejudice, hello, Mr. That Chauvinist. sounds like Mr. Rogers. I think well, you can do a thing like that now. You thanks a lot. Do that's, something. That's really good. I thought you were going to say, you know, Jedi Krishnamurti. You say Mr. Rogers. Okay. Um, let, let's, let's, uh, no, no. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. to do it. Um, yeah, but well, you know, it's here, typical, look, typical cruelty. I want to read another little few more lines. Snap judgments, okay, which is what I just talked about in my case. Well, it's what we're talking about. Relatively mm -hmm. automatic thought processes abound in our daily life and for good reason. Outside of the relatively small number of, number of individuals, any one of us knows really well. Most people we interact with are strangers we might never see again while standing in line at the bank, say, or others we come across in the course of their jobs, cashiers, taxi drivers, waiters, insurance agents, teachers, and so on. The default unconscious perception generates expectations about behavior and personalities based on minimal information right very minimal oh i mean i mean what's maximal is about the amount of information that feeds the that feeds the reactiveness the reactionary behavior you've got tons of that in your in your yeah. you know in your psyche and that comes to play what's really true what you just said is a minimal amount of real you know useful and yeah no we I act say? on absolute empathic bullshit. empathic information you yeah. know um, I mean, you know, you can't love everybody, and you do make judges. You try. You we're not talking love about loving everyone. We're talking about Im not immediately going. Uh, that's a them, and you know, it's not part of our us. So fuck them. That's what we're talking about. Never mind. You know, realizing, you know, that we are all interconnected, part of this one thing, and we um, and we need to display that once we have any kind of realization about it at all. It, it's very hard. I was at a party on the vineyard this summer, and at some person's huge house, and I was put next to a guy who was the most affable, intelligent guy. He, he was some kind of construction person that had made it big or something. And I was having a nice talk with him about whatever, and then he suddenly started ranting about the gun thing, and automatically being in Massachusetts, I thought he would immediately, you know, and he was the most pro-gun person you could ever meet in your life. I mean, he just was Mr. fucking pro-gun. And I immediately just immediately took an immediate total blanket iron curtain dislike to him and eventually moved. Now, I could have stayed, but that's interesting because it's kind of reverse deal. I liked him until I knew where he was politically. And then I thought, I don't, I can't even listen to this stuff. It's so, it's so corrosive. Yeah, to me. that's really, uh, yeah, that's a well, whole other level of this. Well, I, I, mean, I still had to, I still had to stop hating him really quickly. Or what am I? What am I yeah. leaving town with? I'm leaving town with this hatred of this person who I'm never going to meet again. The fact is, he has that set of precepts and concepts, or whatever they are, that make people into these sort of somewhat aggress aggressive beings. Yeah. And uh, I'm just not into it. So hello. Yeah, and that's all. You just say you know, 
you bow down to that and say, okay, next. Uh, understanding the tug the unconscious exerts on us is essential so that we do not become overwhelmed by impulses that are hard to understand and control. The ability to regulate our behavior, whether making friends, getting up to speed at a new job, or overcoming a drinking problem, depends on more than genes, temperament, and social support networks. It also hinges in no small measure on our capacity to identify and try to overcome the automatic impulses and emotions that influence every aspect of our waking life. To make our way in the world, we need to learn to come to terms with our unconscious self. And that is a core statement for anybody who is, uh, you know, wanting to get on uh, with life and not be at the mercy of ego, mind, emotions, um, you know, uh, as the Buddhists say, all of the defile, defilers, you know, greed, right. anger, blah, blah, blah. So for any, you know, that understanding of ourselves is absolutely necessary. And I think it's a two-part thing. One is uh, using your intellect to even, you know, to use, to start out that way and uh, in terms of the witness, as you suggest, you know, even if it's just uh, mental, shall we say, you know, you're, you're not you're not firmly enough allowing yourself to breathe out of your heart center, spiritual heart, so that you actually completely change your vantage point. But if you just can start there, you know, understanding the unconscious, I think this is a terrific, uh, um, a, a terrific article, by the way. Yeah, it is. I mean, it'd be interesting to compare that with the Jungian collective unconscious and his respect for spiritual traditions and archetypes. So we'll do that on another show because we have on another mm. podcast and we're not going to do it right now. Alan Watts talking about Jung and it's yeah, really interesting. Great. It's really great. And we're going to do that, but we, we want to spend pretty much a whole podcast on it. But I mean, you know, yeah. Uh, vigilance is a weird word because you don't want to be uptight all, your, all the time about your own thoughts. The key, the subtle key is to notice and then there's some kind of incremental build whereby one becomes less possessed, maybe, by certain prejudices. I mean, for instance, you mentioned, you know, your father was a bomber pilot and, mm. and I was born in England and, you know, Jewish and, and completely knew about the whole Holocaust and the whole thing, even more than I knew about the English thing and, and fighting the Germans. So it took me a long time, a long time to truly overcome this. And it took years, actually. I, I'd say it took 30 years or something. But eventually, it became sort of stupid and irrelevant and a tape I didn't want to put on the tape player anymore, as it were. And I think that, you know, I, I don't want to go on too much about vigilance, but some form of awareness practice is actually like a rehearsal for these moments. Not necessarily the big moments about meeting someone and, 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 and getting mind blown by how great they are when you thought they were, you know, dickheads. Uh, but more the, the incredible number, we can't even count the thousands of times we respond to something in a way which kind of slightly knifes, knifes our own hearts. Mm. And we don't want to knife our heart. We want to, we want to use it to, um, to enjoy this life and be happy and notice that there are actually other people here. Mm. That's 
very well said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I feel like reading a poem now. Well, do whatever you want. I don't have one. I, you oh, okay. know, actually, um, I have one. Oh, please. Would uh, you? But it's it's on the mind rolling site. Well, who cares? It's all one mind rolling. Uh, what do you mean? What what is the problem? It's it's a, on my blog there. I occasionally write a poem, and I wrote one recently that's on there. We don't have to do. Can that. I? Can you read it, please? Really? Let me find. I have to find it now, and then I won't be able to find. I, then them. I can't I'm... see your, I can't see your uh, face right now. Um, okay, um, it's a poem called "Rising Above." It's quite long, Raghu. Can, maybe I mean, just not, read us the first couple of stanzas then. Well, yeah. I have the shortest poem you ever heard. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. I mean, it's that. one line. It's a haiku, okay? Okay, okay. And, um, and it actually introduces somebody that I um, deeply uh, love and have respect for. No, no, my feelings are hurt. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going away. Forget that. Who how what kind of long poem are you writing long form? Well, Just write no, a short poem. People don't have any attention span. You know that. Okay, well this poem is like twenty lines long. Forget it. it you know something? No, forget no, it. Now people are gonna go, what the hell? Go Just, to our website for God's sake. What's the matter with you? Okay, go, go to the, the website, website and read the blogs and extras and schmextras and whatever. But read my blogs because I really work a lot on them and I get no feedback, no comments, no nothing. So Instead of reading this poem, which has been rejected by my partner here at Summerly, read it. It's called Rising Above. It's the current blog on mind rolling. Okay. All right. That's it. All right. Here's my poem. So this is a poem about uh, from uh, Stephen Levine. Now, Stephen Levine and his wife, Andrea, are just a, you know, an incredible couple, uh, and they have been involved in consciousness. They're old, old friends of, of Ramdas, but they have been involved in death and dying and uh, counseling and books. I mean, he has a fabulous book, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Levine, and they are on audible.com. So, yeah, uh, that helps every, it'll help you out to get his books, uh, certainly around that subject matter. I, I don't have the exact name, it, uh, but it's around death. Um, he also, uh, so go to Audible, okay, and sign up and get that free trial. You'll love it, and, and get Stephen's books at the same time. It'll help him uh, out. Um, so uh, he also has an excellent book of poetry. Uh, you can get that on ramdas.org uh, in the store there. So we do have a couple of uh, his books. So um, I got that in, Dave. Here's very the poem. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I'm praying to Hindu themes in a Buddhist manner and the nameless smiles. Would you read that again? Because I had to write something down while you were saying it. What are you... I'm sorry. You're not paying attention. <laughs> I am, I am, but the people... You're just getting reading. back at me because of your poem. <laughs> no, I'm not, I promise. Um, it's just people driving now. This is be nice. They'll hear it again. And I'll hear it for the... Okay, I am... I are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, ready. Okay. I am praying to Hindu themes in a Buddhist manner and the nameless smiles. It's fantastic. It is. I agree. I, I mean it. it you know what it is? It's the it's the absolute convergence of a practice of love, the heart, bhakti yoga, whatever you want to call it practice of the heart 
and uh, and the uh, solitudeness and um, incredible take on what reality really is of the Buddhists. You know, it's a fantastic, you know what? And he didn't use, I'm praying. Jeez, I hope this isn't boring, everybody. I just love this thing. You sound like you're bored. No, I'm really not. I'm okay. just being quiet I, I'm, listening. He, he's, I'm really listening. You are? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm very insecure today. Yeah, I, it's okay. I'm really listening. All right. Uh, I can't, no, I can't speak to the countless multitudes <laughs> out there. You know what? Instead of saying praying, you know what he used, which made the whole thing even way cuter, but not everybody would know what this word is. I am davening to Hindu themes in a Buddhist manner in the nameless smiles. <laughs> davening is a Jewish, uh, you know, people like it's praying. Okay. But they're, they're rocking back and forth, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a well-known image, you know, if you've ever been in a synagogue. Anyhow, enough of that. That, that was, it's more of a haiku or something. I mean, he just, he did, this isn't published by the way. I hope Stephen will be okay with it. Uh, he just, he was sending me an email and we were conversing about something because a gris, uh, he wrote grist for the mill with Ram Dass. Just, I'm full of commercials today. Okay. Grist for the mill just came out last week. Read, uh, redone since 1976 when it first came out. Uh, we went and, and made sure it was available again. It's online. I mean, it's as an e-book as well. And Stephen and Ram Dass, uh, put that together. was from some talks uh, that uh, Ram Dass gave. Uh, and, and one of the main things was about this woman, Joya, this teacher that we've talked about a lot before in the past. So uh, Stephen is uh, Ram Dass's co-author there. And as I said, in, just in the middle of an email, he sent this to me, and I was just blown away. Well, you know, that's, a, are, that's it. They're so beautiful because they just hit you right between. By the way, in, in the little bathroom I have when I come and stay with you there, there's a book of haikus. Yeah. And I, I, I go to the bathroom just like everyone else quite a lot. So I, I read it like 15, or 15, 20 times in my stay at your house. And there's some amazing haikus in there. Yeah. I mean, amazing. And yeah. they're modern ones, a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, they're not ancient. Some of them are just recently written. And haikus, if anybody doesn't care or know about haikus out there, which is probably unlikely, but. Yeah, get yourself a book of haikus because they're so great and do it through the Amazon portal. <laughs> you're just trying to, you're trying to be as clever as I. <laughs> Impossible. This Impossible. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Um, so uh, we were, the, when we talk about all this stuff and the difficulties behind uh, becoming a whole person uh, related in this case to individual differences and related to, un related to unconscious uh, reactory uh, kind of stuff and habitual stuff. Um, we always like to, I mean, we have provided, and David's talked about the witness and, and, and really an awareness uh, related to, you know, you have to realize at least that this is going on. Otherwise you have no chance at all. So that's a witness um, that starts uh, to be the witness. Um, and we, we love uh, more of our low hanging fruit. We have our low hanging fruit club and it's, and in this case, uh, Pema Jodrin, who is a fantastic teacher, uh, who's a disciple of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, one of our main favorites. Uh, and um, so we noticed some stuff in Shambhala, which is, uh, we've told you how much we love this Buddhist magazine. Shambhala's son. Shambhala's son, right. And so she really has a bunch in this particular issue. Oh, we're going to do this now? I, this is a whole podcast. No, it's not. 
It, I think it is. Well, I'm such a payment. Okay, well, I'm, I'll tell you what. We're going to, you can't leave with just your recommendations about the anecdotes to all these issues that we're bringing up, okay? So uh, we, I, I'd, how about if we just suggest some of them? We can go further okay. into it later. Okay. Uh, so she, how many points? Does she, she has, uh, you know, a, a number of different uh, main topics that she brings up in terms right. of this. Uh, and the first one is stabilizing your mind, right? And we've just been, you know, pretty much talking about that. I mean, stabilizing your mind, I think the very first thing that has to happen is just, again, realize that you're lost somehow, some way, polarizing, angry, whatever it is that you're doing, or, you know, already, uh, you know, snap judgment on people, whatever. Um, so you have to realize that that's happening. And so to me, the very first thing is what you said absolutely astutely is the witness and and i think the witness is is she would probably agree uh, is the first stabilization stabilization of mind um do you well have her, you know she does this article with um elizabeth mattis namgill who's a buddhist and a, a close friend of hers and look at this raga this quote from from elizabeth she says when you start getting lost in the activity of the mind or see yourself bracing against experience in some way, be joyful because you've noticed. Mm, there you go. Exactly. And that's exactly what we... So that, that, uh, that practice is primary to just almost anything that we could ever think of in any walk of our lives. And it's the, you know, it's been bandying, it is being bandied about tremendously today through the whole mindfulness movement. I mean, you know, mindfulness 2, you know, 2.0, all that wisdom 2.0, mindfulness is center stage on all that. And, it, and as it should be, because, uh, you know, at, at, at this point, it is non-sectarian. And, you know, we can talk about that from, it's not it's you don't have to join any tradition to get awareness and to get a mindfulness you know so in that sense it's perfect so uh the second thing uh she talks about and you know i know we're glossing it over a little bit dave but well you know, you know, we'll come back to it some um, other time. but i love this the second thing which is making friends with yourself i did a, a whole thing with jack cornfield um uh, that was on mind rolling. Yeah. Uh, when was this? At the end of last year, uh, where he, um, we absolutely talked about that concept of making friends with ourselves, right. which is not judging ourselves, which is being kind and compassionate. Uh, you know, we want to be that for other people. We need to be that for ourselves as well. So I think that second thing, those are two. If you didn't go any further with just those two, stabilizing the mind, including noticing, witness, you know, being able to get one pointed, which is obviously through some meditative pr uh, practice. Um, th those two things alone, no? I mean... Yeah, no, definitely. She says, um, I like this, she just says, this brings us to unconditional friendship with ourselves. Mm. You know, we all try and have unconditional love as best we can, and we can, and, you know, we do it and do it and do it, and we're being nice to people we don't even like, and we're certainly being nice to our, our family and relatives and so on. And then suddenly you, you realize you're not being unconditionally loving towards yourself. You're blaming yourself. You're making, you're diminishing yourself. You're reducing yourself in some way. And that, again, in that kind of reactionary from unconscious past, 
coming to the fore and dominating you for a microsecond. Mm. And so she's saying, you know, to hell with that. Be nice to yourself. Come on, you, you know, just you recognize, notice, notice what you just, little mental maze you went through for a few seconds. You know, the great thing about yoga, when I do any yoga, I, I notice more than ever how much I'm prepossessed or somewhat possessed by these thought waves and forms and slight uh, judgmental sort of barbs because I can see them when you're doing the, the, the asanas. You can actually see when you're not concentrating on the movement, but you're suddenly you're doing the movement, but your mind is thinking mm -hmm. about something that somebody said to you 11 years yeah, right. ago. Yeah. And it's just, oh, wow, look, there it is right there in yeah. front of me. I can see. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I'm just going to mention the last two, we, uh, which I think these four things really are so primary. And, and uh, you know, she's just great. Be free from fixed mind. Okay. Um, and fixed mind is stuck, inflexible. It's a mind that's closed down, living with blinders on. Uh, and it's particularly easy to spot in the realm of uh, politics, of course. Um, and she, she says, Payment, say you're an environmentalist. What you're working for is really important, but when fixed mind comes in, the other side is the enemy. You become prejudiced and closed, and this makes you less effective as an activist. And this, we have talked about this from ad infinitum on many podcasts. It's the, it's our conundrum because, you know, we, uh, the, the social atmosphere, political atmosphere, economic atmosphere, the wide divides, all of that, the polarization. And this is exactly what we have been uh, talking about and working through. So I think that that's terrific. And then the last thing is take care of others. So, you know, stop, you know, then you stop just thinking about yourself. And that, uh, on its own, is a radical uh, transformational process. Uh, just the, 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 and I want to, I haven't introduced you to some things. Uh, two things in this podcast, Dave. Beck what? and I have a new book that I got from a friend of Sharon's, uh, Sharon Salzberg's, um, named Bonnie, and I can't remember Bonnie's last name, but I'm going to get this together because it's it's around gratitude. It is wonderful. It's a simple book, not very big, and I'm going to share that with you, Dave, because, in fact, we, we, we'll do a podcast with her. She's incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I just want... Oh, no, it's okay. Go it's ahead. Okay. I, well, I just was going to quote this thing that struck me because I was visiting a friend in hospital a few days ago in, in fairly dire straits, but he's got an amazing will, uh, she says, she says, when we're in very painful circumstances, she doesn't say this, she's quoting from Meredith Monk, who's a, a fantastic composer and performer. Jazz so piano. she's quoting from, quoting from her and she says, when we're in very painful circumstances, there's a way we can see that those circumstances are part of the big flow of life. At the same moment that you're having that pain, there are millions of other people who are having that same kind of pain. Mm. There are millions of other people sitting in a hospital waiting room right now. There are millions of people who are dealing with grief. And having just been in that hospital and thinking about it, yeah, when I was in there, it was like, wow, here I am. And it's such a heavy situation in a way. And it's so um, sort of putting you on the edge of, edge of some kind of other awareness because you drop your own me movie for a minute because you just can't get too egomaniacal when you're looking at someone who's suffering in a hospital. Mm. And Payment Children takes that further and says, just think about all the millions of other people everywhere. 
Right. We're right now in hospital. I mean, we we don't want to, or at least I don't want to, you know, be Debbie Downer about this and say you should be thinking about hospitals. You shouldn't, but you should at least. Excuse me, Debbie Danner. Debbie Downer from South. Oh, Debbie Night Downer. Live. Oh, Debbie right. Downer. I thought this was somebody. Right. Okay, no, no. you know what? Yeah. Here it is. This is the closing quote. I get the closing quote you, of Pay Your Children. Today. You're welcome. When you feel bad, let it be your link to others' suffering. When you feel good, let it be your link with others' joy. Okay, so that's our uh, that's going to be our bumper sticker for for this week, because um, that says it all. And that's the fourth uh, of her uh, four pres- prescriptions, which I would say are antidotes to what we have been talking about around individual differences and around habitual tendencies. Yeah, one, Isn't I that wanna, neat? The, it's you know? it, fantastic. I, I just want to add one thing, which is kind of a, a, an joke. But Callie, do read that Pay My Children book I got you, will you, please? Thank you. Uh, so that was great, Roger. Jeez. Okay, I'm going to talk. bring my relatives in, too. Well, she, I know she's listening, so. Okay. Hi, Callie. Nice to meet you. All right, All right. Dave. This is it for today, and uh, uh, thanks, and thanks to everybody out there. Keep listening, sharing, share with people, build up the audience and the community. It's been growing nicely, and uh, and again, we we thank you for your support, and please do continue. Go to mindrollingpodcast.com, and there are many ways to help support us. Thank you. Bye, Dave. Bye-bye.